you get lost. You get sidetracked. You might end up somewhere you don't want to be. You might spend four hours getting here instead of two. When we're traveling to a destination, we need to remember that destination. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the destination. And as we mentioned, the theme of our camp is heaven or the new heavens. We'll talk about both here in Revelation 21. It's the new heavens and the new earth. So I'll ask you the question, how much do we think about heaven? How much do we think about the new heavens and the new earth? I'll be the first to admit to my own grief, rarely. And yet, we have so much in the Bible. There's a lot. In one sense, there's more questions than answers. But in the other side, we have a lot of information. In the book of Revelation, through the Gospels, we'll mention a few Psalms, Isaiah. There were prophecies. There were hints. There's good information about our destination ultimately with all the saints, the new heaven and the new earth. So, as we go through the camp this weekend and then when we go home, may we now and again pause and remember our destination so we don't get sidetracked, so we don't get lost, so we don't stumble. And if we forget ultimately our destination, we probably have much deeper problems. But the goal is to be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that we may live 60 years to 100 years if we really live long on this earth, but we have eternity to spend in the new heavens and the new earth with all the saints. And as we were singing some of these songs about believing and, and maybe even death, and as we think about heaven, several of the people that have been at this camp in the past are now in heaven worshiping God. And one day we'll all be united as one church victorious and glorious, worshiping God for eternity. So let's get a glimpse of that. May our fellowship uh, here over the weekend be spiritual, be deep, be profitable. It was a blessing to see uh, many of you having your time in the Word this morning. And hopefully we do that all the year. But we have time at camp. We're not going to work. We don't have school to do. We have time. Go, Go for a walk. Go to your tent. Sit under your canopy and spend some time in the Word and meditate on the truth of God, especially about heaven. And God willing, Tom will be preaching from Revelation 22, uh, 1 through 5 tomorrow. Well, a few introductions as we think about the book of Revelation and our topic. First, Revelation 1, 1 tells us that it is the revelation of and about Jesus Christ. As others have pointed out, it's not the revelation of the millennium. It's not the revelation of the beast and the false prophet. It's not the revelation even about heaven itself. Those things are included in the revelation, but the the object, the focus of the book of Revelation is given in chapter 1, verse 1. It is the revelation of and about Jesus Christ. As Tom said when he taught the Sunday night service, the theme of Revelation is what? Jesus wins. So I love to have that two-word moniker for the book, and Revelation 1.1 has a very similar uh, statement. One author said, The end is not an event, but a person. I like it. It's not exactly correct, 
because the events point to a person, to God, to Jesus Christ. But many, and you maybe have been in churches or grew up in places where it's all about uh, maps on the wall of the end times, and there was a book written, The Eclipse of Christ in, I think, Modern Eschatology. So whatever our eschatological view is, our view of the millennium, our view of the end times, we must be focused on the person of God, the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, introduction here, Revelation is a letter. It's a letter to the seven churches in Asia. Does anyone remember some of the names of those churches? Laodicea, Sardis, Philadelphia, Ephesus. Uh, We have those seven, Pergamum, Thyatira. This book is a letter. It's an epistle to the churches, the seven churches in Asia. And even in 22.16, just across the page, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. So we have to remember that to keep the context. This epistle was written to churches to give them hope and the same for us. Third point of introduction. Or maybe I'll ask you, when did the end times begin? Are we in the end times? When did they begin? Yes, after the ascension of Christ. The end times began after Christ ascended. And they were looking for His return quickly, soon. It's been over 2,000 years, well, almost 2,000 years since he ascended. And he has not returned yet, but we read in the Revelation 1-3 that the time is near. They were looking for the return of Christ, for the, the beginning of all these events, and the world would come to an end. Or also, again, in 22-6, John wrote about the things which must soon take place. Well, we wouldn't speak of soon when so many years have passed, but that's the picture. And the saints in this era were looking forward to the return of Christ as we say today, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Begin the end process, the end game, if you will. So remember that. We've been in the end time since Christ ascended. People say, oh, we must be in the end times. Yep, we are. We have been, and we will be until Christ returns. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, and we'll see later that God is the Alpha and Omega, and He's timeless. So whether it's 10,000 million years, if we went that far, it wouldn't be any different than one day to him or one second because he created time, absolutely. Fourth point of introduction. Revelation 20 talks about the millennium and also Satan freed and then judged and then this the, the judgment of God and uh, the people and Satan and death and Hades all cast into the what? The lake of fire. And 20 and 21 connect. 
and there's a lot of parallels. We hear of the first and the first resurrection and the second death. We hear of death and life. We hear of the old earth and the new earth. And we see the judgment throne and the throne of grace. We see that the sea gave up her dead, and then we see the sea is no more. So there's many parallels. Actually, I was amazed how many parallels within the book of Revelation that I found. And I encourage you to read it even over the next few days. But there are many parallels within the book of Revelation. But especially 20 and 21, there's comparison, there's contrast, and we'll hear more of that in a bit. I thought of uh, of looking at it this way. In 20, at the end, with the lake of fire, we almost see a new hell, and then in 21, the new heaven. There's this, there's this new state of, of, uh, of places and a situation that I call the, the new hell and the new heaven. We have new heaven, of course, in our, in our text. Jesus spoke of it this way, the resurrection of life and the resurrection of judgment, or you could put them uh, in reverse order. Number five, point of introduction. This message was given to those seven churches to, to do what for them? To tickle their ears? To entertain them? Uh, I once knew a guy in the army, we were on duty, and it was 2 a.m. on staff duty, Regent can tell you about it, he hasn't when he goes back. And this guy was watching Jack Van Imp. Some of you, he, he, he had all sorts of crazy, ideas about the future. This guy didn't know anything about Christ, about the Bible. He wasn't even a Christian, but he was entertained by Jack Van Imp. Impy or Imp? Impy. So we know that wasn't the purpose of, of John, of Jesus, of God giving this book. Why were these recipients given this book? Encourage to encourage them. That was, the, that was the point I had. Sorry? Call them to be alert. And, and expectant. Yes, I love that. Alert and expectant. And, and we see in two and three, there's, there's warnings to repent, to, to take heed, to be alert. Um, but ultimately, when we get to Revelation 21 and 22, it's beyond encouraging. May God encourage you, brothers and sisters, as, as you think about, as you dwell on the truth of God's Word. That, that was one of the main points that God would give His people and gives us in this beautiful book of the Revelation. One author said, this is a future which informs the present. So we read about our end, but it has current application to our lives, particularly encouragement. Also, sixth point of introduction our verses in 21, 1 through 8 really give a summary introduction to the rest of the book. Not only the rest of this chapter, but 22 to the end. It's, it's sort of, he gives, um, basically his synopsis statement and then he's going to open it up. And that's why I asked John to read the whole chapter and, and we hear about the beauty of the bride and then further all about heaven and the tree of life and so forth. So there's, there's a, encapsulation at the beginning, 1 through 8, and then it's opened up in the rest of the book of Revelation. See, and since I'm the first speaker, I get seven points of introduction, so thanks for your patience. But if, you, if you're if you keeping track in your notes, lesson number one of ten, 
all ten will be completed by tonight. Lesson one, kids, and if you complete it, come see me afterwards. And if you can't write, tell me something you heard today and, and I'll give you a little prize. Lesson one, be sure to get your view. I had ideas in my notes, but I said that's not right. Be sure to get your view about heaven from Scripture more than stories or speculation. We heard it in Sunday school a few weeks ago about Lazarus who died. And we don't have chapters and chapters about what happened after death. You'll meet people that tell you a story. This is what they experienced. Well, let us be sure to get our view of heaven more from Scripture than stories and speculation because there's whole books about what happened after you died and you came back. Or what did you see when you were in the, uh, the, the, the emergency room and they said they pronounced you dead? And we are very curious as human beings. I gotta know, I gotta know. But the scripture tells us a lot. It doesn't answer every question. There's a lot that we, we have to just trust God with and say we don't know, but there's a lot we do know. So let's focus on those things, not the stories and speculation. Oh yes, thank you. The title that, that is right from our text, All Things New. All Things New, part one this morning. So verse one, we read, then I saw, it's the twelfth time that John writes to us, then I saw. He's continually seeing amazing things. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. Now this idea was not necessarily new because Isaiah said in Isaiah 65, 17, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. So there was a prophecy and John, by the Holy Spirit, continues on this theme. So when he saw this new heaven and new earth, it's it's one of those Greek words that I, I've heard since I had pastors that, that talk about the, the Greek words and it's it's kaine or kainos. And it's the kaine diatheke, the word for new covenant. And we hear it in our passage about heaven, earth, Jerusalem, and, and all things. It's that same word, um, kainon, kaine. And that word new is... Not new in time, although there's definitely overlap, but it's new in kind. The new covenant is a new kind of covenant. It's not only new in time, but it's new in kind. And so this is a new kind of heaven and earth, a new kind of Jerusalem. And even these all things new, it's, it's, it's a newness. It's a freshness. Also in the book, we hear about that we, if we overcome, will get a new name. What does that mean? I mean, we don't, we don't have the information. And even Jesus says, my new name. He will have a new name. I mean, the revelation is going to be so profound that even Jesus will have this new kind of name. I mean, our imagination is runs rampant. We have a new song a uh, few times in the revelation. And then even Peter mentions this in Second uh, Peter 3.13. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, the same word, kainane, in which righteousness dwells. Lesson two from 
this verse and the verses we mentioned, brothers and sisters, are we looking for the new heavens and the new earth? Are we looking for it? Are we hastening it to come? Again, I confess, at least not as I ought. I desire it, but I'm not looking for I'm not. I look forward to camp. We pray for camp all year long on Wednesday nights. Camp, pray for camp. We have for decades. We might look forward to our next trip to Maui. We might look forward to a wedding preparation. You might look forward to your own wedding. You might look forward to getting into college. We look forward to many things, but brothers and sisters, are we looking for the new heavens and the new earth? We ought to be. Peter and John here tells us and encourages us because we have this description. We have in our future a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. Oh, to find a Christian, and may it be one of us, that we are so heavenly minded that we are have earthly good that we show. You've heard the opposite. Uh, that Someone might say, oh, th- that Christian or that person is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I've never met one. And may God make us heavenly minded so that we are good on earth. And you can read First Peter 3. There's more there about how we should live in light of it. Conduct, but we'll stick to our text here in Revelation. But again, spend time this weekend meditating on this new heaven and new earth. And this earth is beautiful. Even after the fall, we look up and we see the tree line. We see the stars last night. It is amazing how much more the new heaven and the new earth. And he adds right here in in verse 1, the first earth passed away. Again, what does that exactly mean? We're not sure. But the first earth is gone and there's no longer any sea. Now that, that was strange to me. And the commentators were not much help. They weren't much help on this whole chapter, actually. Um, and it's it's challenging. This is a challenging book, for sure. But here's some thoughts, some ideas about no sea. Now, some of us love to go to the beach and go to the ocean and swim in the sea. But for the Jews, they regarded the sea as a sign of separation and turbulence. That makes sense. Another said that this... The sea was one of those seven evils that John speaks about as being no more. You can count up a seven, a list of seven things that will be no more. 2013 said, and the sea gave up the dead. That might be a good hint of the immediate context. Or another says, the sea is the sea of the peoples, the wicked, restless world. That sounds appealing. But... Um, I, I think it was our dog woke us up, I don't know, 4 a.m. or something the other morning, or 5, and so I, I d- couldn't sleep, so I just started reading the Revelation from the beginning to end. And one of the points that I noticed throughout the book of Revelation, we hear several times, the earth and the, and the sea, the earth and the sea, the earth and the sea, the earth and the sea. So I think to me the, the basic idea is, the earth is passing away and the sea is passing away. We don't have to read in other points. The sea is passing away. Simple as that. You can chew on that idea. We don't have the exact, but that's throughout the book. If the sea is flooded, then the 
Right. If we think of the earth, the globe, it has land and sea, it's gone. But throughout the book, we see the earth and the sea mentioned coupled together. Verse 2, again, and I saw, John is having these visions, and I saw the holy city, new, again, Kainane, Jerusalem, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. From God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. One author points this out. We see this Jerusalem, which shows the continuity. We see Jerusalem from the time of David, when the city was established and built up, and all that happened with Jerusalem. Yet, this is a new Jerusalem. It's different than the old. So there's continuity and discontinuity when you think of covenants or the, the eras of Scripture, continuity, discontinuity. But we have this new Jerusalem. We're familiar with the word Jerusalem, but this is a new Jerusalem. And it is from where? Where is it from? What did it say in verse 2? From God. This Jerusalem is from God. Lesson three, the new Jerusalem has her origin and ornamentals. I couldn't find that word, but maybe it's, it's wrong or I just made it up. The new Jerusalem has her origin and ornamentals from God. It's not from the earth. Of course, God established Jerusalem in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. But this Jerusalem is quite different. It's coming down from God. And He has beautified her. He has made her so beautiful. You guys heard the rest of the verses in 21. And what was that geometric shape that that John read about? Did you catch the dimensions? What was it, John? A square, a a cube. And it was symmetrical. And this, this bride is very symmetrical. Just beautiful, like when you see crystals that are, are different shapes. This new Jerusalem is symmetrical and all those gems, she's dazzling. Some of you ladies like to wear jewelry. You might like a diamond, a ruby, uh, maybe you like uh, amethyst. You heard that whole list of beautiful gems and the gold of this new Jerusalem. Again, we have the introduction in 1 through 8 and then the description in the rest of the chapter. Her origin and her ornamentals are from God. And he describes her as made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Most brides don't go down the aisle in shorts and a t-shirt. I'm sure there's a few. But most brides, even in the, uh, the, the Bible era, the New Testament era, they would dress up. They would put on good clothes. Nowadays, of course, you, you get your makeup done. You get your hair done. You, you, you buy some new earrings. You get new heels. You, you go and spend big bucks maybe on a dress. Yes. One mother here knows. She, she just went through that. Um, and girls, young girls, when you're thinking about your wedding, you're not going to probably wear shorts and a t-shirt. It wouldn't be sinful especially from a guy's perspective. But you want to look 
beautiful. You, you might dream one day you want to walk down that aisle and look beautiful. That, that's great. And here, this new Jerusalem is made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. She is just stunning. And all those descriptions, the, the jewels and the gems and the gold, it just shows how beautiful this new Jerusalem is coming down from God. Now, we had a hint of this. The author of Hebrews uh, said in 12.22, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. So there's already these pictures of the saints in heaven described in this very similar way, Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. So there are parallels with the current heaven and the new heavens. And so that may be helpful. In the current heaven, the brothers and sisters that we loved and are in heaven right now, there we say they're in part of the church triumphant. They're, they're already in heaven. They have no more sin. They're, they're worshiping God. But many, or some of us at least, haven't arrived yet. We're still down here, pilgrims and strangers. We're not completed yet, and the the new Jerusalem is not completed because she, maybe she's missing a shoe. She's missing part of her uh, adornment because all the saints are not gathered. Really, what we're seeing in Revelation 21 is glorification. All the saints gathered together in this new Jerusalem to be forever with the Lord. Hengstenberg, who was the most helpful author I read, said, the commission of his militant church for centuries has been to rear occupants for the new earth, citizens for the new Jerusalem. We're pilgrims and strangers in this preparatory time, moving forward, moving upward and onward, persevering to get to the new heaven and the new earth. So we're still the church militant here on earth, advancing, fighting sin, and standing forth for Christ. But one day, we'll be part of this new Jerusalem coming down all together and so forth. Again, compare with the old Jerusalem, it was a holy city. It's referred to that way. I think I don't always like the word the holy lands, uh, but... Jerusalem is called the holy city in Scripture by Christ as well. In Jerusalem was was what? Uh, two, two buildings. One of them we have here. What was in Jerusalem where God met with His people? Well, before the temple was, was the tabernacle. And so in the tabernacle and the temple, those are places where primarily what was the big event about those places? Sacrifice where God met his people, where, where, um, atonement was made for, but primarily where God dwelt. And of course, there's, if you think about Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, we'll hit more of that in a bit. But Jerusalem, the tabernacle, the temple, it's where God dwells. And these, uh, these people, if you will, the new Jerusalem are coming down from God.
and then to be forever with the Lord. Again, it's a new kind of Jerusalem, not of this world, but coming down from God. Verse 3. He says, and I heard, 26 times we heard that in the book of Revelation, and I heard, he saw, and I saw, and I heard. It must have been amazing, those visions that John had. He, They kept, and we'll see it in a bit, right, because his mouth is probably dropped open, and he's just dazzled with everything happening. He heard it, he saw it, and here in verse 3, he hears this loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! Behold, look at this, listen to this. The tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. I love this verse, it's profound. And there's a calling out of these loud voices. Maybe it's the thousands of angels, maybe it's the elders and the saints in heaven now crying out as we read in the earlier parts, for example, in Revelation um, 4 and 5. They're calling out, Behold, listen to this, look at this. God's place of abode is now with men. Again, there's there's continuity. We, we've heard this before, but it's something new. I love when we have this emphatic translation, God himself. He could say, and God will be among them. Great. That's enough. But it's emphatic. God himself. And when when I read that, it's very encouraging to see the emphasis is upon God. It's theological. It's about God. Even in the temple, I'm reading in 1 Kings, and recently I came to that verse in 1 Kings 8.29, where God told Solomon, my name shall be there. And that's speaking of the temple, my name. All that God, his name reveals, was wrapped up in the, the tabernacle, the temple, and now among his people in the future. The continuity, you can read Exodus 29, Leviticus 26. The same type of language is used for God dwelling with his people. So from the old, from the new, into our future, lesson four, the greatest blessing in life and death is to dwell with God himself. The greatest blessing in life and in death is to dwell with God himself. So when the, when the lady tells me I died and came back and I saw myself and this happened, she didn't mention God at all. If, if someone went to heaven and they don't mention God at all, it's bogus. Completely. So let's get our view of heaven and the new heavens from Scripture. The greatest thing about the new heavens is that we will dwell with God Himself. When when a saint is getting near death, I have an aunt in Pennsylvania. She's she's on hospice and she's a true Christian and she's walked with Christ on earth. So I'm confident she will walk with Christ in heaven. And when we've known our brothers and sisters that have went before us, they walked with God on earth, they will walk with God in heaven. It's a beautiful picture of what is true Christianity and true religion. It is this dwelling with God. If you don't enjoy dwelling with God now, why would you think you'd go to heaven? What good would it be for you? But for us, brothers and sisters, even though we stop and start and stumble and struggle 
We delight to be with our God. We delight to pray. We delight to read the word. We delight to gather with the saints. We delight to sing his praises because ultimately that's all that matters, that we can dwell with our God. And that's what we'll do in the new heavens and the new earth. Again, I love these parallels from the Old Testament. We hear, and I will be their God, and I will be called their God. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Even in the Psalms, I love Psalm 12, 7. The upright will behold his face. Speaking it, looking into eternity, we will behold the face of God. Or Psalm 17, 15. I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. I will be beholding God when I awake from this world after death. I will behold the face of God. The greatest blessing in life and in death is to dwell with God. Communion with God. Communion with Christ. It is the chief blessing on earth and in heaven. Verse 4. In this beautiful place, this new heaven and this new earth, He and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. If one of you, one of you little children fall down, you got a big old scrape on your arm, mom or dad may pick you up and what might they do? They just wipe your tears away. How delightful. To be a parent and do that, maybe you even shed a tear yourself because you love your children so much. And kids, when we, when we went to our mom and dad, they could just seem like wipe all of our tears away. Behold the humility, if you will, the condescension of God that He bends down and wipes our tears away. He wipes them. Every tear. Every tear. And not only tears, there will no longer be any death. I don't know about you, but that is, you know, we talk about what is our view of the new heavens and the new earth or of heaven. There's no death. There's no death in that place. Kids, when you're young, you probably think you could live for a hundred years. Man, those years are going to go by so quick and your knees are going to start to hurt. Your back's going to start to hurt. You get tired and before long, one day, you will die. But in this place, in the new heavens and the new earth, there is no death. The curse is reversed. In Genesis 3, we found the fruit, the, the eating of the fruit led to death. But in the new heaven and the new earth, the curse is reversed. There's a lot of parallels between Genesis and Revelation. There's even a book, I have the end of the beginning. There's a lot of parallels. And I was so happy last Sunday when Tom was preaching that survey of Genesis and reminding us of some of the key themes. And they're right here in Revelation. The character of God. Our theology. What do we know about God? And, and finding in Him our chief delight. It's right there in the beginning. 
Where do you hear most, probably in the Bible, about death, plagues, misery, an ashen horse named death? Some are seeking death. Some long for death, but they can't find it. A half of mankind died. Every living thing in the sea died. Go to the place of the dead. Death is cast into the lake of fire. Where do you hear all those things? In the book of what? Revelation. This book is loaded with death. So I think as you read it from the the beginning to end, and then you come to this verse and you read there's no longer any death, you've just had 19 chapters where death is 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 one of the main themes. And even that horse is named death. And even in 20, verse 14, death itself is thrown into the lake of fire. How does that work? You know, we, we don't know. But... It's glorious that it's done. Death is done. Death is, God didn't create us to die. We were created to live with Him and, and sin brought in that death. Death is unnatural. In heaven, in the new heavens, there is no death. None. So that's in the revelation. We heard all those points about death, but what about us? Our, our tears gone, our, our broken hearts gone, the dying saints that we we love and we had here at this camp and we had in our lives, that death is gone. Grief. Does anyone want to be rid of grief? We get grieved. We look at the world. We we look sometimes at ourselves. We get grieved at the remaining sin. Grief is gone. Sorrow. Does anyone get sorrowful? Maybe. Your, your children, maybe a relative, maybe your parent, your friends. You're sorrowful, you're grieved at how they're living. You read the news, I mean, that's loaded with sorrow. But in the new heavens and the new earth, no grief, no sickness, no sore backs, no cancer, no diseases. It's, it's a place of perfection, of, of beauty. Lesson five, beloved saints, in this new heaven and new earth, your tears and pain will come to an end. Beloved saints, your tears and pain will come to an end. Some of you live in, in pain. Some of you have a lot of tears, a lot of difficulty, a lot of sorrow. Our sister Lisa now, I'm sure, is having a lot of tears and grief. This world is full of sin and misery, but the new heaven and new earth will be full of holiness and happiness. That's why we need to keep looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord and the new heavens and the new earth. Yes, there's good on this earth. There's things we delight in, but it is going to be something which we cannot even imagine when these first or former things have passed away. It's a new chapter. It's the final chapter. Or maybe it's the uh, the afterwards. Maybe the book is done in one sense and we're in the, the afterwards in some sense, yes, it's like a sequel. Good. Verse 5. Verse 5, and we're in the last section here and we'll be done. But listen close. Verse 5. And hopefully you have your Bibles. And he who sits on the throne said. I don't think we hear God's voice elsewhere in the Revelation, if I remember correctly. We're hearing God speak directly. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, listen, look, pay attention. 
I am making, present tense, I am making all things new. Kaina, again, that same word. I'm making all things new, new kind of things. And he said, write. Get out your pen, get out your quill, write, for these words are faithful and true. God is speaking directly to John from his throne, calling for attention, and he says, I am making all things new. And I looked at the word order in the Greek New Testament. It's, it's like this, behold, new, I am making all things. There's an emphasis on this newness, that God is doing something new. And what does making things, what does that harken back to? What book of the Bible? Genesis. God was making. On this day he made this. Let there be light. Let there be this. He was making. He was making. Now he's making again. And again, we're going to see it in in tonight, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Genesis and Revelation, that God is doing something new. He made one thing, then he's going to make something so new that we can't even comprehend it. We get enough to encourage us, but there's a lot we just have to wait, wait and see. Spurgeon says in his way, let us gaze upon the great transformation. That's why I said, pause on this camp, brothers and sisters, and meditate. Go for a walk. And yes, behold the trees and the stars at night. But by the eye of faith, look into the new heaven and the new earth. That's why it's here, to encourage us. Lesson six, and this is the last one for this morning. Borrowing the words of the Apostle Paul. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. The best is yet to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. The best is yet to come. That should encourage us. There's much to discourage us on this earth, but there's much in the scripture to encourage us to keep going. The best is yet to come. Why is it a trustworthy statement? He says these words are faithful and true. They are sure to come to pass. Great is his faithfulness. He's never failed on a promise. He promises us that he will create this new heaven and new earth. And by the grace of God, we will be there in Christ. It's a faithful saying. It's a trustworthy saying. What God makes new will be new indeed. What God makes new will be new indeed. It's like when you're watching a video or something and someone else next to you has already seen it and they say, they say, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And you're like, okay, come on, I'm waiting. Well, it's similar. Now we're in this waiting. It's coming. The church has been waiting many years for this to happen, but it is coming. Wait for it. Wait for it. Look for it because it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Imbibe it. Embrace it. The best is yet to come. However bad this world gets and it is wicked and we have remaining sin that is wicked and there's much... uh, uh, We see the power of the evil one in ways that we haven't seen in our lifetimes. But the best is yet to come. Wait for it. All things new, all things new, 
We said no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. But also in 21, there's no need of the sun or moon. And then the gates will never be closed. You don't need to protect the city. There's no longer any curse. 22.3. There's no longer any night. Bad things can happen at night. And you can read Romans 8, 17 through 25. I was thinking as we, as we look forward to this new heaven and new earth, it's like in Romans 8, 17 through 25, when the creation is groaning, we groan within ourselves, longing for that glorification of the church, of us, and the full revelation of the sons of God. That's what we're seeing here. So God tells John, again, write, write. He keeps telling him to write it down for the seven churches, but also for Pilgrim Bible Church, for us, so that we can get in our heads and our minds and get our view of the new heaven from Scripture, not from society, not from people's experience. Write it down. So God wants us to look forward to this. As we wrap up, our lessons were these. Be sure you get your ideas, as we just mentioned, about heaven from Scripture more than stories or speculation. And then, brothers and sisters, we're look, are we looking for the new heavens and the new earth taking Peter's words? Looking for. Looking for it. Lesson three, the new Jerusalem has her origin and ornamentals from God. For the greatest blessing in life and death is to dwell with God himself. Children, this isn't above you. You kids here can seek God through Christ and you can dwell with God himself. You know what it's like to hang out with your friends, to go over to your cousin's house, to be with those you love, well, how much more to dwell with God through Christ? Who doesn't want to go to heaven? If you asked 100 people, do you want to go to heaven or hell? I'm sure if they were all honest, at least they'd say heaven. Well, if you want to go to heaven, you need to dwell with God on earth in Christ so that you can dwell with him in heaven. It's through Christ. Believe in Christ and you will dwell with God now and for eternity. Again, beloved saints, your tears and pain will come to an end. There is an end. It may be a long, hard road, but it will come to an end. And finally, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. The best is yet to come. So let's keep that mind mindset through our camp and encourage one another. There's a lot of weighty things we, we carry and bear. Not to be trite. I hope I'm not coming across that way. Hear one another's burdens, but let's remind one another the best is yet to come based on Revelation 21 and many other passages. Let's close in prayer. And if you have questions, come see me afterwards. Our great God, we thank you that we can gather here for another camp. You have preserved us as a church, as individuals. So much history, Lord. It's your work. It is your doing. You are so good to us and gracious. We thank you for the scripture We thank you for the book of Revelation. We confess, Lord, that many of us 
Maybe most of us, we know this book very little. And yet it's to our own demise, our own um, lack of encouragement, Lord. We need to, to take heed to your word, to look forward to the new heaven and the new earth. Give us grace, Father, to be heavenly minded, to know that we're pilgrims and strangers on this earth. This is not our home. And as that saying goes, we have to wait for it, Lord, to be ready. Lord, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. And Lord, even for any that are yet unconverted, Lord, may you do a work of salvation. You've done it before at camp. Lord, do it again. May this camp, even for these little children, may they cry out to you, Lord, to be your friend through Christ, to walk with you, to know you, to love you. And Father, may we all do that. Dwell and walk with you, our God. We thank you for this great hope. Lord, be with those that are driving today. Grant safety, grant strength, grant peace and families. We know the devil loves to attack us. Lord, be with us in all our activities. May you get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.